Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. I'm your host, Aaron Free, and we're going to ask a very important, very difficult question today. And here's the question. Why do people love dead Jews? And I want to talk openly with you today and share some things on my heart. I travel to university campuses and churches, and my talks are about the jealousy within Christianity for the last 1,700 years over the issue of chosenness. If the Jew is chosen, then what does that make Christians? Not chosen? And we expose this lie in our presentations And Paul the Apostle said to the Gentile people, you've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Peter talks to the Gentiles and says, you're a chosen generation. So Gentile nations have been engrafted into the olive tree of Israel. Galatians 3 says that Jesus became a curse that all the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles who believe. And so, yes, the nations of the world, those that reach out to Jesus, they are grafted in to a Jewish olive tree, and they are chosen as well. There's a different reason for their chosenness that we'll see in a moment, but the lie is that Jews are chosen, Gentiles are not. Therefore, for 1,700 years, Christianity has tried to erase Judaism from the planet. The rudiments of the faith of Christianity are Jewish. Jesus is the best-known Jew. When he returns, he's coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah. In my talks, I talk about how we de-Judaize Jesus and all the pictures of him. He, he looks Swedish. He looks like a California surfer. It's long blonde hair, blue eyes. Christians have tried to erase the Jewishness of Jesus for 1,700 years. And it's all over the issue of jealousy, the boasting against the natural branches. And Paul the Apostle says, if, if you boast against those natural branches, you yourselves will be cut off. And there's a son of man company that's rising up in this generation. And, and we see this from, from the scriptures. We see it from Ezekiel uh, in, in that prophecy. And we have so deeply ingrained a supersessionistic replacement theology within uh, Christianity that, that so many Christians believe that Christianity is a superior religion to Judaism, that we've superseded the Jews and we've started a whole new religion. And the greatest roadblock to learning is condemnation before investigation. So oftentimes when we hear the truth, we condemn it before we investigate it. And so I, I want you to investigate today before you just condemn what I'm saying to you. God plays no favorites. He does make distinctions. He's made a distinction between light and darkness, the holy and the common, male and female. And he's made a distinction between Jews and Gentiles, between Israel and the nations. He had to start with someone, so he started with Abraham and his descendants. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, you were not chosen because you were great in number. In fact, you were the weakest of all the nations. I chose you, speaking of Israel, because I love you. And the word there in Hebrew is ahava. And there's three letters, olive, hay, and bait. 
Aleph means sacrifice. Hey means an open window. And uh, Beit means family. So what God is saying to the Jewish people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. I'm going to lay my life down for you as a sacrifice. I am going to blow my wind and fire and spirit through the open window of your soul. And I want you to come and live with me in my house as my family. In those days, it was the temple. So Israel became a servant priest nation to be a light of revelation to the world. And they preserved the word. Israel was the womb for the covenant, the promises, and the Messiah. The womb in which the nations came to faith. Jesus said, salvation is of the Jews. Uh, So there was a Jewish womb that brought forth the Messiah. John 3.16, Jesus said this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. The word there in Hebrew is ahava. The same love that he said spoke to the Jews back in Deuteronomy 7.7. He chose the nations out of love. Same word. Ahava has three letters, Aleph, Hay, and Beit. Aleph means sacrifice. Jesus laid his life down for the nations as a sacrifice. Hay is an open window. Uh, John 14 says, if you open your heart, my Father and I will come and will dwell with you and will live inside of you. And then bait means family or, or house. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. So the Jews were chosen as a servant priest nation. They were the womb, the cradle of the Messiah, that the nations might be born into the kingdom of God. The saints from the nations have been chosen to be a womb of of the rebirth of Israel. The law will go forth from Jerusalem. The God of Israel will rule over the nations of the earth. But first, Israel must be restored, and that is dependent on a Gentile church from the nations, an authentic church that has captured the heart of the Father, a church that has prepared itself with mercy ministries, a church that is prepared to lay down its life for the brethren of Jesus. What we're talking about here is the rule and reign of God in the earth. You say, well, Aaron, where do you where do you get these ideas? Well, they come straight from the Bible. You can read this in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3, verse 14 through 16. Uh, the Bible talks about an end-time persecution of the Jews. Uh, we're seeing an intifada right here in America. Anti-Semitism, according to the FBI, is, has increased by something like 300% in the last couple years. So in Ezekiel 37, we see a vision of the valley of dry bones. And in verse 11, Ezekiel says, Then he said to me, speaking of God, God spoke to him and said, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to the dry bones, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, and I raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And they say in that passage, uh, Our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. And so it's a son of man company that God calls to prophesy to the house of Israel. It's not a pat on the back, be blessed my brother, hope you have a nice day. We'll be in the wilderness with the Jewish people in these dark days ahead. And when they come to a place of 
hopelessness and they've been cut off. It will be a son of man company group from the nations, a remnant of Christians from the nations who will encourage them, who will care for them, who will stand with them in the dark days ahead. The authentic love of a martyr church is what it will take for the Jewish people to really understand how much we as Christians love them. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Ruth, the Gentile daughter-in-law of Naomi, you can see the same pattern in her life. Ruth 1.16, Naomi, the Jew, is going back to Israel. It's during the, the time of harvest which I think speaks of the last days. Jesus said the harvest is at the end of the age. So Ruth is heading back home, and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, uh, says to Naomi, Whither thou goest, this is Ruth one sixteen. Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you live, I will dwell. And where you die, I will die. And only death will separate me from you. Ruth was a Moabitist, not a Jew. And she's saying to this Jewish mother-in-law, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That's a friend unto death. Her her, uh, sister-in-law, Orpah, she went back to the land of Moab. She didn't go with her mother-in-law, and her name means back of the neck. Ruth means friend. So I think that speaking of Gentile Christians in the last days, they will become Ruths. They'll become friends of the Jewish people. They won't turn their back on them as Orpha did. The Gentile Ruth married the Jew Boaz. The son Obed uh, gave the son to Naomi to be his nurse. And Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse became the father of David. And of course, uh, the line trans. Uh, transfers all the way to Jesus. Jesus was the son of David. So through the womb of a Gentile woman came the lineage of Messiah. Through the womb of a praying, interceding Gentile, authentic church, Israel will come into a restoration and the rule and reign of God will be established in the earth, particularly in Jerusalem. So it's a son of man company that God's raising up in these last days of time, a Ruth company of righteous Gentiles from the nations who will speak to the valley of dry bones and prophesy over them that their God, the God of Israel, is going to save them and protect them. But instead of being Ruth's, saying, whither thou goest, we will go. We've become Orphus. We've turned our back on the Jewish people over the centuries. And we've done everything we can to erase the Jews and to turn our backs on them because if the Jews are minimized and marginalized, then Christians must truly be the chosen ones. And that's what many theologians are saying today. Once again, digging up this old ancient heresy called supersessionism or replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel, that the Jewish people are no longer God's chosen. The church is actually God's chosen. So the hard and cold truth is that Christian anti-Semitism is uh, the oldest and most violent hatred of the Jewish people known to history. Christians have killed Jews with reckless abandon when you consider the Crusades, the Inquisition, and then the Holocaust, led by baptized Christians. And the contempt is rising. And one of the presentations I do in churches is called the seven factors that led to the Holocaust. And one of the factors is replacement theology, also known as uh, supersessionism. It was a theology in uh, Nazi Germany that basically proclaimed that Jesus was not Jewish, he was Aryan, 
And God had called uh, the German church to rise above even the scriptures and embrace national socialism and uh, nationalism and, you know, become this powerhouse church that had rejected not only the scriptures, but rejected the Jewish people. And they truly felt that as Aryan Christians, they were the new Israel, the new chosen. So generally, people are shocked when I make this presentation. And there's true remorse over what Christians in Germany did. And invariably, someone will come up to me after these events, and they'll say things like this. When are those Jews going to wake up to the fact that they are the problems in America? Someone else uh, recently said to me, weren't the Jewish people communist? Now, this is after a presentation on what were the things that led to the Holocaust. And then we proved that the seven factors are back today in America. And they asked questions like, weren't those Jews in Germany communists? Didn't they deserve to be put to death these are breathtaking comments from Christians. I've even heard uh, Christian people resort to using vulgar language and words to describe American Jews. And then invariably someone will come up and say, well, what about Matthew 27, which uh, at the crucifixion of Jesus, the Jewish people in the crowd proclaim to Pilate, his blood is upon us and upon our children. This is a small handful of Jewish people that spoke these words. So they say, according to Matthew 27, 25, the Jews are eternally cursed. That's why they're persecuted and killed. And they almost say it with a revenge within their hearts. And then, of course, they bring up the Jewish um, issue of deicide, that the Jews killed God. And so there's this revengeful spirit in these Christians that are responding to me after these events where we're talking about the rise of anti-Semitism. And so these people, one by one, Christian people are informing me that they prefer Jews to be dead over living Jews. Uh, we did a man on the street video not long ago on a Christian college campus, and we asked the students, do Jews, uh, should Jews have the ability to live in Jerusalem? And the answer, one by one, from these evangelical students was no, uh, the land does not belong to them. The land belongs to the living stones of the land, which are Palestinian Christians, the Jews should leave Israel. So what I've come to grasp, and we'll talk about it on the other side of the break, and it's painful for me to say this to you, but a lot of Christians love Israel, but they don't love Jews. And we're gonna tackle that issue on the other side of the break. So hold on, because these are Issues that's going to make us all think and contemplate and come to terms with true history. See you on the other side of the break. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, president of Israel Team Advocates. Israel Team is standing in the gap for the Jewish people in a time of growing anti-Semitism in America. And there are many forces, even within Christianity, that want to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. There has to be those who proclaim the truth about Israel in a time when nations are calling for her demise. Our organization works on college campuses where anti-Israelism is in vogue, especially on evangelical college campuses. Evangelical anti-Israel groups highly financed by George Soros and his Open Society organization are pushing evangelical millennials towards the abyss of anti-Semitism, and they are succeeding. 
One such group, the Telos Group, is funding all expense-paid trips for young pastors and evangelical college students to Israel where they feed them lies about the Jewish people and the land, and they come home anti-Israel. In just the last four years, evangelical young people have cut their support in half for Israel. In a survey in 2018, 69% of evangelical young people said they supported the Jewish people. A new survey in 2021 found that only 33% of evangelical young people support the state of Israel. So if we don't push back against the growing anti-Israelism within evangelical movement, evangelicalism could be anti-Israel within just a few short years. I'm asking you to help Israel team in this fight. I'm asking you to stand with us as we stand for God's covenant with Abraham and the land and the great nation that God is building in Israel. Will you give to Israel Team today? And there's two ways you can give. Go to our website, israelteam.org, to donate section, and you can give securely online. Be sure to give us your mailing address so that we can send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt. You can also mail your donation to Israel Team. Find our address on our website, israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel and You. We're talking today, we're asking the question, why do people love dead Jews? And in the last week, I've read a ground-shaking, heart-wrenching book, and I think that every Christian with a conscience should order this book and read it for themselves. If you are concerned about the growing hatred towards Jews in America today, I encourage you to read this book. The title of the book, here it is, People Love Dead Jews, and the author is Dara Horn, and uh, you can get it on Amazon, order it on Amazon. New York Times notable book, best books of 2021, and the book will make you think about your place in history as it relates to the Jews. You will be challenged, irritated, provoked, offended as I was, Uh, but ultimately your eyes are going to be open and you're going to understand some things I've never understood for years, questions that I've had about the history of uh, the Jewish people. And it's a remarkable book. And here's just a few words from Dara Horn's book, uh, People Love Dead Jews, from her introduction. Why do people care so much about how Jews died if they care so little about how they lived? I came to recognize the mania for dead Jews as something deeply perverse, and all the more so when I uh, it wore its goodwill on its sleeve. This book explores the many strange and sickening ways in which the world's affection for dead Jews shapes the present moment. I hope you'll find it as disturbing as I do. So the book opens up with one of the world's favorite dead Jews. And when I mention this uh, girl's name, you're going to say, well, I I know her. And the name, of course, is the teenage girl Anne Frank, who wrote the diary of Anne Frank when she was in hiding in Amsterdam, Holland. And here is how much people love dead Jews. Anne Frank's diary, translated into 70 languages, sold more than 30 million copies worldwide. Anne Frank's house in Amsterdam, Holland, uh, has over a million visitors a year. I've been one of those visitors. I've visited uh, Anne Frank's museum in Amsterdam. Uh, When I read these facts, a lump in my throat Uh, began to grow because the day before I read the chapter one of this book, 
I saw Life magazine in the store with Anne Frank's picture on it. It's it's uh, last month's issue of Life magazine. <clears throat> the entire magazine was dedicated to the story of Anne Frank. So I bought it for my nine-year-old granddaughter. In her diary, Anne gives the gift of absolution to all the hundreds of millions of people who did nothing, gave no attempt to rescue Anne Frank from the gas chambers. And here's the quote that everybody loves from the diary of Anne Frank. Here's what Anne said, a a 13, 14-year-old young Jewish girl. I still believe in spite of everything that people are truly good at heart. Most famous words from her diary were those. I still believe, in spite of everything, that people are really good at heart. We are flattered by these words, and they make us feel forgiven for not caring. But what we don't want to face is the obvious. Anne Frank, a young teenage Jewish girl, wrote those words before she came in contact with her murderers, who would take her life and her family's life. She was in hiding for years when she wrote her diary. The second popular dead Jew in chapter one is Elie Wiesel. And Elie Wiesel uh, wrote a book uh, in Yiddish. The first rendition of his famous book was originally in Yiddish, and it was entitled, And the World Was Silent. It was a book of rage toward uh, Elie Wiesel's family's murderers, an angst against the bystanders who did nothing to stop it. And the title of the book was, And the World Was Silent. It was really a pointing a finger at the entire world for doing nothing as six million Jews were rounded up for slaughter. So the book uh, was about the indifference of the bystanders and mainly baptized Christians who did nothing. Few people have ever read this book entitled, And the World Was Silent. Later on, the French Catholic Nobel laureate, Francois Morris, encouraged Wiesel that readers did not want to hear about how their society had succumbed to genocide, uh, did not want to face the crumbling of their civilization, so he encouraged Wiesel to blame God not German Christians who poured the gas into the gas chambers. So his book, And the World Was Silent, became retitled Tonight. And the book was about his journey. I've, I've read the book several times. It's his journey and struggle with a God who could allow the suffering of the Holocaust. And by making this change, blaming God instead of German Christians, Wiesel won the Nobel Peace Prize, and later the book was selected for Ofer Winfrey's book club. Most people in the world have heard of Anne Frank, a dead Jewish girl whose writing was prior to her torture. Fewer people have heard of Elie Wiesel, who hid a great deal of his anger towards the bystanders in his book, Night. A third dead Jew that Dara Horn talks about in People Love Dead Jews uh, that I would gather most people have never heard of and I had never heard of this writer myself. His name is Zalman Gradowski. How many have ever heard of Zalman Gradowski? Well, we've all heard of Anne Frank, but very few people have heard of Zalman Gradowski. Who is he? Well, Anne Frank wrote in hiding before she was sent to the death camp, and they discovered her writing after her death. Gradowski wrote his work, uh, and it was also discovered after his death, but uh, in, in turn, he wrote his book in Auschwitz. He wrote about what he saw. 
His entire family was murdered. Gradowski was a Sonder commando. He was forced to escort new arrivals from the, the cattle cars straight to the gas chambers, then haul their newly dead bodies to the crematoria, extract any gold teeth, and then burn the bodies. He died when the Sonder commandos rose up against the Nazis, and his writing was found years later in a jar that he buried outside of the gas chambers. So I'm not going to write, uh, read to you what he said in chapter one. You'll have to buy the book, uh, People Love Je- Dead Jews for Yourself, because it, it's grotesque what he saw. And so nobody wants to read things like that. Nobody wants to face what actually happened, what Christianity actually did to murder six million Jews. Uh, one thing he said is as he was leading uh, women and children to the gas chambers, the mothers would say to him, say, brother, how long does it take to die? Is it easy or is it hard? The point of Daryl Horn's story of the three authors is that the world prefers Anne Frank above other dead Jews because she does not remind us of the horrors of what our world did to the Jews. Unlike Wiesel's first book, And the World Was Silent, that condemns humanity for doing nothing, and Gradowski's diary that explains in horrific detail what happened in the gas chambers, Anne Frank's diary reminds uh, and flatters us and allows us to honor a victim of the Holocaust without having to deal with the silence that allowed her murderers to commit genocide. Uh, the, the, the real question that the church has failed to answer since the Holocaust is why the millions of baptized and confirmed Christians had no sense that they were now responding to programs that were antithetical to biblical truth. The answer is that most church leaders and theologians had already cast off any binding obedience to what the Bible teaches, but instead adapted the Bible to patriotic and ethnic claims. They were Germans first and Christians second. A council of churchmen and theologians met to repudiate and reject any Christian resistance to Nazism and instead affirm Nazism with this declaration. These were evangelical bishops and pastors in Germany. There were some Christians that were rising up against the Nazis, but the majority of evangelical pastors bound together, and they wrote this declaration. Here it is. The unchangeable will of God meets us in the total reality of our life as it is illuminated by God's revelation. It binds everyone to the natural order to which we are subject, such as family, nation, and race. In this knowledge, we thank God the Lord that he has given to our people in its need of a leader, Adolf Hitler, as a pious and faithful sovereign. So they were praising God for giving them Hitler as their leader. So one of the greatest tragedies of the Holocaust was not just that culturally sophisticated Germans, for the most part baptized Christians, reasoned that shooting, torturing, and gassing six million Jews was an act of righteousness, or that Europeans under German occupation, for the most part baptized Christians, willingly and gleefully turned in their Jewish neighbors to the SS, but that running parallel to the genocidal rage of the perpetrators was the indifference of the bystanders, Christians who did nothing to stop the carnage. This too is a great tragedy. Silence is evil's greatest ally, and when you remain silent, you command evil to exist. 
So these are things that we've got to deal with in these days. It's issues that the Christianity has never come to terms with. We've never dealt with it. So in the next couple shows, we're going to deal with why the world loves dead Jews. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.